But that's that mentoring experience. And that's what podcasts and that's what we hope our podcast become for people is an opportunity to to almost like a masterclass situation. Because uh, there are teachers out there who, who are rock starring, uh, who understand what it takes to do what we do. But nobody knows who they are. Nobody's heard their voice. No one's, no one's, you know, there's not a camera in every teacher's room capturing all these moments and, and putting them in a file. And you may have never experienced it, and then you may listen to it on a podcast, and then all of a sudden you experience it, and it's like, oh, I remember them saying, okay, this is how you, okay, got it. And even though it may be like, no, nah, I can't do that, but it gives me an idea. It sparks an idea in my mind of what I can do. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. My name is Kyle Krieger. Um, what we have for you on this episode is we are sharing a little bit more of the process that we took to be writing our first book, which is called, same as the podcast, The ABCs of Inspired Teaching, uh, letters D, E, and F, which make up our second chapter, uh, Dedication, Empathy, and Fairness. So um, we're going to try to pair these together and just talk about how they fit um, into being an inspired educator, breathing life into kids. Um, it's funny to look back and listen to these um, sessions that we recorded at the start of 2020, um, end of 2019, and just think about how far we've come and how much the teaching landscape has changed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, if you're not a subscriber, please subscribe, share it, like it, um, and you can find us uh, on Instagram at the ABCs of Inspired Teaching, uh, on TikTok, Twitter, and Instagram as well. You can find myself at it's Kyle Krieger, and you can find Will at its.will.law.iii. And thanks for listening. So we're talking, you got about, you know, 14 minutes to talk about dedication. In the, context, in the context of becoming the teacher that students deserve? No, in the context of becoming an inspired teacher. Oh, yeah, there you go, better. Good job. So how does dedication fit into inspired teaching? Um... You know me, I, I, I like to break the word apart. Um, the etymology of the word dedication. Um, they say the action of concentrating to a deity or sacred use, the giving of oneself to some purpose. Um, to be set apart, to affirm, to proclaim. Dead meaning away. Dakare meaning to proclaim, to pronounce solemnly. So I, I think when you think about inspired teaching, 
inspired teaching has to have a level of passion with it. And the only way passion is really evoked is when you spent time toiling, trying to accomplish something. You, you appreciate things a lot more when you commit to it. When you, when you say, I'm going to set myself aside for this, then that this that you experience now becomes so much better because of that dedication. It becomes who you are and what you do. And when you're talking about inspiring kids, again, that's, we know our kids, we can't wow them with our historical facts or our mathematical prowess. Um, they're not gonna be just going in on, on how well we can alliterate, you know, um, they're gonna go in based on how true are we to who we say we are. You know, I talk to my daughter all the time about your say-do relationship. You know, what you say versus what you do. I say you need to keep that relationship as close to one-to-one -one as possible. And I actually, she understand what that means. And she was like, yeah, it means do what you say. Exactly. That's dedication. Yeah. And what struck me is that, you know, dedication is time in the saddle. Huh. Because. Mm -hmm. It's to be, you know, inspired teaching and have dedication means you have to get through the rough patches because that's, that's, you can be dead. I mean, we both know we can be dedicated to a workout program until it gets tough. You can be dedicated to a diet until, you know, there's options for you to not be dedicated to it. And I think that part of dedication that's so important for teachers, if we're talking about being inspired, is staying with it through the difficult times. You know, and and really having having that true true purpose. I mean, because there's different levels of dedication. Like, no, there's not. Not, I, I gotta stop you there. There's not different levels of dedication. It's like saying there's different levels of commitment. You're either all in or you're not. It's either, it's either you're gonna dedicate your life to something, dedicate your time to it. Because other than that, you know, it's a phrase that we all know that we use, you're half assing. Yeah. And so if you say that there's there are levels to dedication, there's not. You're either committed ready to rock with what you're doing or you're not because any level of doubt, any level of wavering means that I'm not all the way in. And, and I'm not saying that you're not doubtful. We, we, we live in a state of doubt. We're human beings. So we're, we were born almost doubting. We were born doubting, doubting our own existence, doubting our path. We're, we're born doing this, but as you grow and you build confidence, as your confidence grows, your commitment should grow. Your ability to, to stay in that saddle. Again, when your purpose is so big and you understand your purpose, you sit in that saddle because you're like, I, I'm going to learn how to ride this horse. I'm, I'm going to be able to traverse from, from College Station to Houston 
on a trail ride. I'm going to be able to do that. So in order to do that, there are some things that I know I must do. There's some things that I must do. And part of that thing that as educators that we must do is we must keep sharpening ourselves, mm-hmm. not our content, ourselves. We need to be around a network of people that's going to make us, because when you hang out with people who are dedicated, they show you exactly what it looks like. You know, even yesterday, the conversation we had with Lauren and the, the life lesson that her dad stuck with her was, anything is possible if you're willing to put in the work. Anything is possible when you dedicate yourself to it. And she, you know, Eve, I was great to hear her say about the, um, that she could become a doctor if she wanted to. It's not saying, no, I, never, I could never be a doctor. No, I, probably, I really could become a doctor, but it takes dedication. Am I willing to, to go all in? And like you said, it's easy in the beginning to stay all in, but it's when, that, it's, when it's 38 degrees outside <laughs> and, and, and it's raining buckets or your body's tired because you, 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 you've been not eating like you're supposed to. Can you still say, you know what? I know I ain't been doing what I'm supposed to, but I, I got to stay dedicated to it. Results to see because you get tired of getting beat up. So it's like, okay, I got to watch what I put in. I got to go to sleep on time. I got to make sure I'm stretching and doing this. You learn to adjust. So there's not different levels of dedication. It's just that while I'm dedicating to this little thing, as that little thing gets bigger, the challenge is, can I stay dedicated to that? It's still 100% when I'm at, when I'm at the uh, ant mound. I'm still 100% when it goes to the molehill. I'm still 100% when it's Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. So that's not different levels. I'm staying at the same level. My challenge got bigger. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's what I was kind of trying to get at. But let me, let me ask you a question. What, what are some of the things that might look like dedication for teachers but actually aren't? Mm. And, and the, the example I use is, you know, the, the teacher who stays until 7 o'clock every night you know, because they're dedicated, you know, and we say, well, that person's more dedicated than the person that leaves at 4.30 or 5. Because I think there's some false pretenses or some false falsehoods when it comes to dedication with teachers that that can be dangerous. Again, understanding that everybody, every dedication looks differently to, for everybody. I don't know what chunk you're. I don't know if you're at your Ant Mound, the Mole Hill, or your Mount Everest. So you may be staying later because you're trying to master something, or you're trying to just prove something to yourself. So, you know, it's like, it's hard to say. I do think the busybody teacher may be the one that people say, oh, look at their dedication because they're always busy. They're always doing this. They run four or five different clubs. And so they're, that means they're dedicated. But again, if they are truly dedicated, that may be their giftedness of being dedicated to that. 
But my question would be to them is, are you as dedicated to building yourself and doing things for yourself to make sure that you are the right fit for your kids? You know what I mean? Like it, it's, it's, if everything else is in place, then that's not, that's not false. But if you're doing it to, to get a look, so it's because you're worried about what people are going to say when they look at you or. Um, that was going to be my next question. Is there anything extrinsic about dedication? Extrinsic? Mm. Should, should, should dedication be extrinsically motivated? It can be because just like when you start working out and you start looking at your body, you, you, you start watching the change, you see the weight drop off. You look at the scale, you, you know how you feel, that's extrinsic. So now that helps drive what's going on on the inside. That helps me, that, that, it motivates me even more. It, it gives me that, that, that dedication almost, almost drives my motivation. Because as, as I'm moving, and, I, and, and then when you can see the fruits of your labor, when you can see it, you know, if, if I plant an apple tree and they say, plant it this way, you'll get the sweetest apples ever. And I get that first apple off and I wash it off and I take that bite. When, if I taste what I want, then the challenge becomes, how do I maintain this or make it better? If I taste what I don't want, then how can I change this to make it better, to maintain this, to make it better? That's dedication. That's dedication. And, and I think that sometimes teachers, as educators, we get so caught up in, we talk about it all the time, the box checking. And we think that the teacher with the most box checks is the most effective teacher. Um, when sometimes there are people who just very well know how to get things done. But just because that's all you do, I believe that if anything you do, if you're doing it with the best of your ability, greatness is gonna come out of it. It may not look the way I want it to look, may not be in the same area that I wanted to, that, that I would have mine in, but it's your greatness. And as long as you're paying attention to that greatness that you're going after, as long as you're understanding the pitfalls of going after that, you understand the, com the commitment and the dedication it takes to get what you're trying to get. If that, if that type of conscious ob observation is on, is on par, then I say, no, it's not a bad thing. Good. If, you're, if you have your hands in the clubs and all that stuff, because this is just who you are and this is how you, this is, how, this is one of your uh, love lessons. <clears throat> I can't remember what Trent PD we were in um, when they were talking about the love lessons for, um, for teachers, mm -hmm. love languages. Love languages, yeah. For, for educators. Yeah. Because we all, all have a way of expressing ourselves. And right. if, if that's your language, then I'm going to say be you. Mm -hmm. Because, again, that's the whole realm around um, inspired teaching. Can you commit to doing you, yeah. bringing the best version of you to the kids every single day? And that's a good spot to stop. But 
if we're going to pick this back up, I do want to talk about comparison and how comparison can be dangerous when it comes to dedication. Comparison from your, like you comparing or others comparing? Yeah, so like trying to compare your dedication to someone else. I think that's kind of where the extrinsic motivation question Mm. came from. And I think that's where I was coming with, you know, the person who stays late is we can't, we can't judge our stuff by comparing it to someone else. The next word in our book is empathy. And I feel like there was something more we wanted to talk about with dedication, but I can't remember what it is. So I'm not going to. I mean, come back to it when we write the write the draft out. Yeah, it'll come back to you when we read it. Yeah. But I mean, we were just both saying that our kids today have the response to fight. And when you say fight, do you mean like always literally fight or just no, they're no, combative? No. Combative is the best. I guess that's a better word. But it's still a fight. It's still that struggle. That 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 knee jerk reaction to a stimuli, where there is no sense of reasoning put into it. Um, and that's just, I mean, again, as an educator, you have to understand that it is important to allow kids to go through that process because that's almost like a self-discovery. You don't want to stifle the self-discovery. You want to teach them how to use what they're discovering in the most appropriate way possible for the environment. Example, young kid want to be a rapper. It's hard to, I mean, it's not impossible, but the hip hop culture is filled with exclamatives and exclamatives that, you know, people use. And when that's part of a student's everyday thing, what they see outside, and they don't want to, um, what was that one of your beard hairs? Yeah. (laughs) Actually, no, it's actually a sunflower seed. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was eating sunflower seeds yesterday. And I must have got one into my water bottle and not known it. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sorry, you were uh, talking about expletives? Yeah, but no, like, you know, you know, so the kids, you know, I'm teaching my Mac kids how to express themselves without cursing. Without using those words. Um, well, and the thing is, there's so many, you know, and maybe it's just me and my country upbringing that I only really knew curse words. I didn't know all the other expletives and all the things that now fit into that and all the words that are um, insensitive to particular groups of people or, you know, those, those things. So, So there's so many more words now that we know and we understand the meaning of and know that they're not, things that we should be saying well you know you know did i ever share with you um my uncle um was like one of the um 
um, as you say, forerunners of the Houston LBGTQ yeah, community. Yeah, you told me that. Right? Yep. Yeah, and so in one of his speeches on Washington, he made the comment, something about, yes, I am gay. Yes, I am homosexual. Yes, I am uh, a punk. Yes, I am a sissy. You know, I am all those things. But why should that matter to you? Something like that. And why is it a bad thing? Let me be. Um, and so I think a lot of times um, and I'm, I'm, I'm very, very hesitant because I've had such a huge shift in my thinking about the whole LBGTQ community. Um, and I was very open that when I first got into ministry, um, I was kind of, I don't want to say brainwashed, but through scripture, it was shown to me that homosexuality was wrong. Um, the way that they described it, and it's in the Bible, um, is that it's an abomination. And this is how God spoke of it during that time. It was an abomination. So my, my views on the LBTQ community was, was very critical. Even though my greatest mentor was my uncle, was a proud member of it, and I didn't see that with him. Does that make sense? So despite the fact that you, so you saw something that would disprove what you were being taught, but it didn't, it didn't register mm -hmm. because, mm -hmm. and I, and I felt the same way, you know, like I didn't grow up around black people. I hardly grew up around Brown people. You know, the really only people of color we had at my school were the native Americans and around my town, there's not a real high opinion of them. You know, and it took me a while to really get to know and, yeah, to be able to walk down the streets in, in Houston and not worry about the people that were around me and to not believe the stereotypes of, especially black people, like that they're troublemakers and all those different things. Because even still, like around my hometown, you would hear that a lot. Mm -hmm. I had a guy, a friend of my dad, a friend of my grandpa, who commented that I must be doing okay because my school doesn't have a lot of black people. This was Thanksgiving that he said that. Wow. wow. But, I mean, I really hear your point, but I want to ask you, how, how does it impact, or how does our culture impact empathy when our kids and our adults and everyone's taught or everyone's taught that you should care about everything that every issue should be taken up as your own. Cause it really brings me like what your uncle said struck me of like, you know, why would it matter to you? And I don't, and I don't know exactly what I'm trying to get at here, but 
do you think empathy is more difficult now than it was for us with how connected the world is? Because really in, in our time, especially into our, even into our 20s, like we still were only really connected to the people who were directly in our orbit. Mm-hmm. And now our kids are connected to anyone and everyone. Anywhere on this globe. And so for me, I think it is one of the things that if it's not included intentionally in your teaching structure, it's going to be even more difficult for the kids to grasp the concept. It has to not be the taboo thing that you don't talk about. It has to be the things that you're willing to stop and be brave enough to open the floor up and have a discussion about it. Uh, perfect example, the other day, there was a little kid in the room who he kept moaning, like as if he was, like it sounded like he was trying to mimic what it sounds like when you're, you know. And so, and one of the kids said, man, stop that, that's gay. And, um, and I said, stop. I said, please stop moaning. I said, but let me address this. I say, how is that gay? Tell me, well, he over there making a sound. Like, you know, I say, I say this is not a health class, so, but he told me, but I say, no, no, I, I know what he's doing. My question to you was, How does that make that gay? Tell me, because men don't moan, do they? And he, he looked at me like, I said, you know what? And, and I, I stopped myself and like, you know, I said, and I said, I said, you're not going to go home and tell your parents, Mr. Law was sitting here talking about this. I'm going to ask you to ask you when you go home tonight, <laughs> you ask your parents, do men moan? He told me, well, I know during that time, I say, so then you already answered your question. And he put his head down. He was like, you're right. So it's, it's being intentional enough to know that every moment that's presented, you go in and you, 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 you attack the, the lie. You attack the, the untruth. You, you attack the stereotype. And don't be afraid to have those conversations because, again, being in the space that we're in, I've been a lot of places where I'm the only black face in the room. And I know that when I had my full beard and my snap back and my earrings in my ear, you know, just off muscle, you'll look at me, you'll think one thing. But if you give me the opportunity to have a conversation with you, you'll see there's so much more. And it'll dispel. I, 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 I live for those moments where I can walk into a room and dispel stereotypes. I love it when I don't have to, but I love being the one that dispels the stereotype and, 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 and calls people to the carpet of what their, what their expectations of people are. Because uh, the last time I checked, you strip us all down. We're all the same mechanics. We're the same mechanics, male and female. Same mechanics, different purposes, you know? So 
we we have to shift um I think empathy being taught as a as a actual part of your curriculum forces to students to in a safe space be able to wrestle through these ideas that become offensive in the real world. That becomes offensive, I'm not gonna say the real world, that becomes uh, outside of the four walls of the school. Because school is still a real world. I had that conversation the other day. Some of the teachers always talk about when you get in the real world, some of this not real. <laughs> but, you know, to them, this is their reality. And this is what we have to get them to see. We're preparing you for adult life, not the real world. Life outside of the bubble that you're currently in. And most of them are not even in the bubble. Truth be told. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of our kids need a lot of protection. They're not getting. Um, And I think that's where on a teacher, if I'm going to be an inspired teacher, then empathy has to be part of not just what I teach, it has to be part of what I show, what I live. That has to come through in every single moment because really that's that's what's going to win kids. That's what's going to win them. And it's not going to work for everyone. It's not. It's not. You're going to you're going to get your head knocked in a couple of by some. You're going to get your hand spanked by others. Um, but it has to be, man. That's the only way you can inspire kids is to show them that you understand. You know, you're, you're putting yourself in their feeling and where they are. So. What do you think most gets in the way of teachers? displaying and using empathy with their kids? Ego. Ego. That, word, that, that word needs to be a little sidebox. <laughs> um, word. Uh, what do we talk about? Um, we were just talking about it. Um, um, with the book that you said that Ryan Holiday wrote. Ego is the enemy. Uh-huh. Um, But ego, I heard someone say the other day, and I heard someone else amen it. They said, teachers know how to hold a grudge. And um, I was like, not this teacher. I say because 92 kids across a five-day week. Well, no, I'm not going to say 92. I'm going to say 1,400 kids. That's the, that's the number that I can. 1,400 kids, five days a week. If I held a grudge on every kid that smited me... You wouldn't have time for anything else. No. No. No, I don't want to remember you for a grudge. Under any circumstances, I don't want to. I don't want to do that. But ego gets in the way. The ego of of uh, this my classroom. 
Ego, you're going to do what I tell you to do. Ego gets in the way. Ego gets in the way. And, and, and it's hard for teachers to step back and ask themselves, um, is all this necessary? You know, one of the things I, I, I keep bragging about our counselors, I got to post the pictures. They have a little mindfulness corner in the, in the teacher's lounge where you can go color. They have a little diffuser that you can sit there next to you, uh, take your little break and go in there, you know. Um, but where was I going with this? Um, you're talking about ego and how teachers talk about it's my classroom, it's my yeah. rules. So they during our during our PD this this summer, they had these posters all along the hallways as you walk into Jones. Along this long hallway, they had all these big posters. Each one of them had a scenario on it. My mom's a stripper and she comes home four or five o'clock every morning. Um and I'm left at home alone a lot. Another one said, my sister, my, 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 my brother molested me or something like that. And I've been molested by my uncles. And it's like all these different things, right? I, my mom was shot this morning. I watched my brother die in front of me. All these scenarios and gave us sticky notes and said, go and put what behavior do you think a child that's living through this would display in the classroom. And as we're writing, we're putting it up there. I'm looking at the behavior, I'm like, oh, they probably will do this. And it's like, I think maybe the second or third sticky note, I kind of just got stuck and I stopped and I was like, wow. If this is what a kid is going through at home, What can I offer them in my classroom that's different? You know, just like uh, we were on, on the other day and they were talking about if a student is jailed at every single day at home, they're, they're yelled at by, by the bus driver, they're yelled at by the cafeteria lady. And then they come into your classroom and you continue to yell at them. When do they get a break? When do they get an opportunity to, to get unbroken? And that's where, that's where we lose the majority of our kids. And I think that it's all because of ego, trying to save face, instead of trying to put yourself in that place. Mm-hmm. I say that, go ahead. It's easier. It's, it's what we know. And it's so easy to fall into that trap of, I'm not here for that. Mm-hmm. I'm here to teach the kids the content. True. That's a true statement, but that's not inspired teaching. Yeah. No. Yeah, the, the, the impact of a, of a positive teacher moves on. Um, that analogy you've been talking about about what are you what plant are you passing on to the next teacher mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. yeah our 
talking about fairness. Mm-hmm. How many times a day do you, I shouldn't say per day, how often do you hear kids complain about fairness? A lot of times it's indirectly. Like, I don't really necessarily hear them say the word fairness, but they talk about things that ain't right. Or they say something like, but they get to do it. So they're not necessarily saying that's not fair. They're just implying that it's not fair because you lot want to do things, one thing and not the other. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hear you. So how do you, let's just say, how would you define fairness when it comes in an educational, I mean, not even an educational sense, fairness? I think for me, it is... Being impartial, um, but I also think it's the impartiality is relevant to the individuals you work with. Um, do I treat every single kid the same? No, I don't, because not every single kid is the same. You know, a kid who never speaks in my class has a moment and yells out something, then I'm actually excited versus the kid who won't be quiet, constantly yelling out in the class. I'm not so excited. And that deserves a correction. You know what I mean? Um, And, mm, yeah. For me, I hear it a lot when it comes, like you said, that, well, kids will say to me, well, you don't hold everybody to the same standard. Mm -hmm. And at the start of my career, I really took that as a dig. Like, oh, man, they're right. I don't treat everybody the same. But I, you can't. Right. You can't hold everyone to the same standard. Um, I heard an interesting analogy, like, at a conference I was at, earlier the year he was like if you tie a five dollar bill to a string and you hang it from the ceiling so that like and then you bring up a kid who's like six feet tall who can just reach up and grab it and you bring up a kid who's five feet tall and say nope you can't use a chair you can't use anything else you can't do any of this you just got to figure out a way to get it without you know just like grow Grow a foot right now, and then you can have that $5 bill. And maybe that doesn't directly apply to this. It was just something that struck me. But, I mean, I think fairness to me, and it always seems to be the kids who are behaving the worst are usually the ones that talk about fairness. Mm 
because they're trying to justify why where they are. But here's how you set the stage for fairness. Um, when I think of the word fairness, I think of equity. Um, I think of, um, like I said, impartiality. But that has to be framed in a way so that students can understand what it means. Because them fair is, every time I ask to go to the restroom, being fair is you letting me go. You're unfair if you don't let me go every time. Um, fair is, I let you go sometimes just so I can let everyone else go sometimes. And I will not let everyone go all the time unless you bring me a doctor's note or a note from your parents saying that you have to go repeatedly several times in the day. That's fair. Because my job is to keep you in the classroom so that learning can take place, not that you can roam the hallway so you can use the restroom when you have time during your passing period to go use the restroom. You know what I mean? So when you talk about fairness, it has to be framed in a way that the kids understand that there's a protocol for what you're considering to be unfair or for whatever may come up as being unfair. There's a protocol to deal with that. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm just trying to like you're speaking exactly what I was trying to. You, you're you're thinking the same thing I am, but I'm having a hard time articulating it. Like, and I love what you said though that fairness is about perspective. So what seems fair to one kid may not seem fair to another, and there's not like this. You know, we we know the rules of you know, how people should act in a decent society. But even still, those look different to everyone. And like, like I, I, I know what I want to say, but I'm just having a really difficult time articulating it. Well, because you got to remember, we're, we're trying to frame fairness in the eyes of inspired teaching. So in order to inspire kids, we have to remember that you can't inspire someone who has a disdain for you. Um, and go ahead. I was just going to say, so then maybe the little pop-out boxes need to be equality and equity. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, you know, in terms of fairness, like, and it's just such a relevant topic to the world we live in, because everybody wants to talk about what's fair. It's not fair that you're going to take away my guns. It's not fair that you're going to take away my Second Amendment, right? It's not fair that kids have to be afraid in schools because everybody has access to guns. It's not fair that illegal immigrants come here and take jobs and are sucking money from our government systems. And it's not fair that these illegal immigrants have to come from and go through these journeys of horror to get here and they would do anything. And it's, you know, it's, it's not fair that, and that, that immigrants take these jobs away from Americans, but it's also not fair that they can only get these certain jobs that are the ones that we're unwilling to do. You know, and, and that's just sort of where my head goes, you know, so with, 
there's something rolling around in my head about fairness is helping kids see that fair is not what's fair for you isn't fair for everyone and that people come from different experiences but fair is fair here's the thing again fair just has to be framed that's the difference see when you're looking at it from the same saying fair is fair for them what's fair for them is not fair for everybody it is fair the problem is it's not framed in the proper place because again those people who make the arguments for let's say gun rights it's not fair that um uh it's not um it's not fair that Everybody gets to, I mean, the kids have to be afraid to go to school because the people can go buy guns. It's also not fair to do away with my Second Amendment rights because you got a couple of bobos out here who decide they want to go and shoot up schools and shoot up Walmarts and different things like that. Um, because, again, even when you look at the place that New York, who has some of the strictest gun laws on the planet, they still have a high murder rate. Where are these guns coming from? So whether it's legal or illegal, when you talk about fairness, let's talk about frame fairness around the real issue. The real issue is how people treat each other. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to sit here and knowingly know someone is a convicted murderer and sell them a gun. No more am I going to let a convicted child molester come work in my school. You know what I mean? So it's like, Fair is fair, but it has to be framed around the right thing so that everyone can understand because it's not fair for a kid to walk in the classroom and be disruptive. It's also not fair for kids who want to learn to have to deal with those disruptions. It's also not fair for that teacher to have to deal with that student. And it's also not fair for that parent to not intervene in a way that's appropriate to help change the kid's behaviors. Or that the, it's not fair that the parent can't change the kids behavior you know what i mean so um do you do you think there's an element of fear in in fairness do you think that 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 people's desire to talk about what's fair there's an element of fear in there fear of what i don't i don't know like all the things we've been talking about, it just kind of reminds me. And I, um, it's, I can't think of the word we use, but you know, that fear that there's only so much to go around. Scarcity. Scarcity. Yeah. The scarcity mindset that if I don't get treated fairly, I won't get mine because there's not enough. I mean, and I don't know, like I said, it's just, well, not even that. Cause then I think you're taking it to the, the political realm and taking it out of the educational space. Yeah. Because when we look at it strictly from an educational standpoint, when we talk about a teacher being fair, means that that teacher will treat every kid according to the knowledge of that kid in a way that it's favorable for the outcome that the teacher wants to receive. Right. So I think that that is a little different than when you're looking at it as a whole, when we talk about the fairness of um, 
of what one like of a person on on a particular issue or something like that. Does that um, make sense? Yeah, it does. Can I ask you another follow up question though? Mm-hmm. And I hope this is more related to to um, school, but. Is part of inspired teaching helping kids understand that the world is unfair and preparing them for that? That the world is unfair? Like at, like at like not not that overarchingly the world is unfair, but inevitably things are going to happen to them that are unfair. I mean, and, and, and an example is like, it was unfair for you to lose both your parents so young. I mean, that's not fair. But I guess when I look at it from that standpoint, um, I think preparing kids for life is critical. But I think preparing them on a it's not fair level um, denotes a sense of privilege. Yeah. Why is it not fair? Life happens to anybody. Even if we go scripture, the Bible says that the rain falls on the just as well as the unjust. So life is what it is. It create you have the power to create within every moment of your life, every moment of your existence, you have the power to create what you want to do, how you're going to respond in that thing. Because again, you know, no, no disrespect to my, my Astros, but, you know, we don't have the, the, a camera set up calling the plays and, and we can't, we don't know what's coming every swing. You know, we're, we're not, we're not wired to where we know what life is going to give us. So when life throws us, we can say all the day long, oh yes, it's unfair that they lost their job. But what about for the millions of other people? It's just unfair for them too. I hate. I would hate to live in a life where my driving force is not to be in despair or to prepare for despair when I'm not thriving on what I know I was born to do and exist to do. And I think that's helping kids. Because again, you know, my student who tells me, Mr. Law, thank you for being an inspiration to us because, you know, I don't have a daddy at home and coming here listening to you talk, you know, I can imagine what a daddy would tell me and I listen to what you say wholeheartedly and I even go home and tell my mom and and the kid starts crying and I start crying. That moment, I had to become whatever it is that I needed to become for that kid. Will that work for every kid? No. So fairness is giving every single kid exactly what they need, what's prescribed to them. But in order to do that, I got to know that kid. Before that, I have to know myself. Really, I mean, that piece right there is a really a nice lead in because this would this would be the end of the second chapter. You know, if we're talking about empathy prior to that. That's dealing with me. That's dealing with me. And that's where I think we're missing the ball by preparing kids, you know, because, you know, we hear life is unfair. You know, I, re- I remember being in church saying life is unfair. But when I look at the Bible, the Bible tells me this. 
God has no regard of persons. What he do for one, he'll do for another. So now let's look at that. If he has no regard of persons, he don't care who you is. That means that you could be the billionaire and you can get cancer. Or you could be the unemployed person who lives a healthy life and lives to be 95 years old. You, you feel what I'm saying? Like you, there is, he has no regard of person. He will do what he wants to whom he wants. And knowing that it's not a matter of pre preparing our kids for, for, for an unfair, cruel, cruel world. It's preparing them for an ever-changing world. That of you course. have to be, go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, you know, watching that that Will Smith series, One Strange Rock, and realizing just how small of a part of the world you actually are, and how small a part of the universe that you actually are. To think that, and I remember Ryan Holiday in some of his books saying, like, if you think that you're like this big and monumental thing on planet Earth and the history of planet Earth. You are like a micro dot in terms of the existence of the planet. And for all intents and purposes, at some point, what you've done will be forgotten, you know, unless you're most people. But I, I just, re you really brought me back around to that idea of framing because, you know, it's a chance you can really talk about, you know, mindset. And I think that's where I was trying to. I mean, and it's a really good, you know, the fact that G, the next letter is the growth mindset is really, you know, that, that idea of framing really feeds into that next chapter of, choo you know, choosing how you view things. And I think that's, mm -hmm. you know, and that's when you talk about the scarcity mindset and, and limitations, but yeah, you know, I mean, and, and you know fair you know was it was it fair last winter that some lady backed into my driver's door and smucked me right there and now my window only goes down like two-thirds of the way no it wasn't fair but on the other hand i got thirteen hundred dollars from the insurance company that really went a long way i mean and maybe i'm off base with how you how you you know framing that way but well, I mean, but 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 again, it's everybody's situation is different. So the the preparation model, yours was that, you know, I go back nine years ago. Was it fair that a daughter who watched her mom die of cancer now is faced with dealing with the same diagnosis that her mom did? Is that fair? You know, is it fair for a family who who just lost? Um, uh, who, who's 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 battling having a father who's battling leukemia now has a daughter who's battling leukemia. Is it you know what I mean? It, 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 to say that life is unfair is to almost say, and eh, it don't matter what you do. Mm -hmm. But framing fairness in the sense of I like the way you said it, choosing how you see it. I can do this and I see my eyes. However, if I do that, I framed it differently. So you see a different portion. If I do that, 
it changes again. So it changes how I see things. So again, it depends on you to take whatever you're giving, whatever situation you're given in life. And the fair part is what decision are you going to make that's going to be in the best interest for you to get the best view of the situation that you're trying to get. And as an inspired teacher, we have to start looking at those moments that we're teaching and make sure that we're providing every student with a good view of their future. We're providing them with a good view, good or bad or indifferent. And then we prepare them for where they're trying to go, not where they are. You're good at being who you are right now. But is this where you're trying to end up? Is this where you're trying to lead? Is this where you're trying to go in life? And if it's not, then let's change your view perspective. Let's widen the lens out so you don't just see here. You see the entire face now. Now you can go out and say, this is what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to be. And when you do that as a, as a teacher, that's a lesson that students will remember a lot more than they won't take their pencil off my desk. It's not fair that you make me move mine, but you don't make them move theirs. Come on, guys. Life is more than pencils on desk. Yeah, you know, and something that just struck me, like, too, when you're talking about perspective, and maybe it's just the mode I'm in, but, like, you know, we drive by houses and we see houses and, you know, Brittany and I think to ourselves, like, how could anybody live there? But on the same token, there's somebody who's living somewhere else that, you know, that house that's maybe in the not the best neighborhood and doesn't have updates and all that stuff. With somebody from a different perspective, that's the opportunity for them to get their kid into a better school district. It's the opportunity to move out of an apartment, you know and introspective but i mean i think the meat of this chapter is that changing perspective and i love that analogy you gave metaphor analogy demonstration of changing the the frame mm -hmm. i mean because i mean and you could really you know frame the chapter around different perspectives you know like you could do a wide angle lens and um you know, kind of, you know, like with pictures or whatever it could be. For some reason, right now, I'm thinking of that that you know that thing you see at the fair or at at the rodeo. That's like the the funhouse mirrors, where every mm -hmm. every which way you walk, you it's it's the exact same. You're the exact same person, but how you see yourself is different. But so, if I heard you right the most important thing we can do in inspired teaching for kids when it comes to fairness is to work with them on framing and perspective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cause at that point I've been on this kick about rewarding maladaptive behaviors. And sometimes we inadvertently reward maladaptive behaviors because we don't see the behaviors as being maladaptive. Could you, you know what that means? The kid who smacks his mom's hand when, when she goes to take something from him. Uh, and, you know, we may say, don't do that. Or, you know, you see the kid walk away from the kid, my parent, and mild off, and then the parent's like, oh, that's so cute. Look how smart they are, da 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 that's a maladaptive behavior. And when we reward kids for that, 
then they grow up with this ingrained sense that I've been doing this for a long time and I used to get laughs and now people are not laughing, but I've had this ingrained maladaptive behavior in my mind that I don't know how to fix. I don't even know that it exists because to me, this is my normal. I sassed off like this and at first it's cute. And then all of a sudden you get older, it's not so cute anymore. You know, you become an adult now what was once cute because you used to stick your hand up, up women's dress as a little boy. Now you think that behavior, you can still do it. Now this same behavior makes labels you as a sexual predator. So the key is how do we get students to understand when we framing these perspectives, how they have to really get a look into what they are and ask themselves the question truly. I mean, again, kids are some of the most honest people in the world when it comes to judging other people. And the biggest liars when it comes to looking at themselves. I literally heard a kid tell a kid, you stink. And this kid had on no deodorant whatsoever and looked like, smelled like he'd been playing football and it was 8.30 in the morning. But the audacity you had to call someone else stinky when you yourself smell tells me I can judge you, but I don't see myself. So fairness is just not how you treat other people. Fairness is how you look at things. And how you Fairness look at yourself. How you look at yourself. Mm-hmm. Fairness. Again. Fairness is not about how you view others. It's about how you view yourself. Right. Here, no matter how far I pull out, you're still getting the basic same image. And that's where our kids are, the same tunnel. Look how far I have to go away. Now you start seeing more and more, but you still don't see a full picture. But the moment I change this, and I go here, you see in part, and the further I go out, more gets revealed, more gets revealed, more gets revealed. I don't have to change the length of my fingers at all. All I'm doing is repositioning my framework so that I can get a clear picture of what I want to see and what I need to see. And if I need to zoom in on an area, I can zoom in on that area and get a look at what it is. So fairness is really teaching kids Not so much that life is not fair, but that anything can happen to anyone. You know, what comes to mind to me is the the Al Pacino, Jamie Foxx, Any Given Sunday. Mm -hmm. You know, because I I believe in that. I believe in any fight, you know, you you can one-up Mike Tyson if if it's the wrong day. You know, know, we saw Buster Douglas do it, who was not. You know, we saw Anthony Joshua just fall to the... um, to Gonzalez or whatever his name was. Um, Ruiz. Ruiz. And clearly the training, you aesthetically you look and say, man, Joshua, you can see he's been in the gym, he's been working. Ruiz looked like he just came out of the taco truck uh, and, 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 and jumped in the ring. And on that day. Just caught him with a haymaker. Ruiz got the best of him. So again, understanding that Anything can happen on any given day means that I got to prepare myself for whatever is going to come. That's what fairness is. And we have to teach kids that. When we teach them that, to, to notice that, to see that, and to recognize it, then we're preparing them for a life that they won't grow up saying that's not fair. So what? 
they get $3, you get one. But you got $6 in your pocket already. They have none. So you've so got now you, one, they've only got three. But you want to talk about what's not fair based on what I'm doing for you, but not based on what you have for yourself. Mm. Mm. Dude, you got me amped right now. Dude, I Man, think this, that might was be, good. this might be the best chapter yet. That was good. Because again, it takes fairness. It's a different perspective and a different look at fairness. I think we 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 misdiagnose situations dealing with fairness because we we want to um, we want to keep with that that the social political ideals of fairness and social fairness and educational fairness are not the same thing. They're not. They're not because really, honestly, who cares if it's fair? Do I want a fair fight? Yes. Do I want a fair shot at, at, at getting an opportunity? Yes. But if there, if I know that it's rigged and I still decide to do it, then how do I, how do I teach you to respond to the outcome? Can I be mad if I know it's unfair? No. If I know the odds are stacked against me? You knew it's about having them know what they're getting into. Exactly. Exactly. Know what you're getting yourself into. Mom used to always say, don't write a check. Don't write a check. That, don't let your mouth write a check that your ass can't get you out of. Don't put that in the book. But <laughs> hold on real quick. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Thanks for checking out this episode of the ABCs of Inspired Teaching. Uh, like I said, we're just sharing this stuff that we have, some of these things that we've saved up. Um, as we start to make the final progressions on this project, we want to look back and, and know where we came from. So again, if you like it, please subscribe, share, leave a review, um, and we hope you have an awesome week.